Some works need a second chance. Things don't go so well for them the first time around. Like a plant in the wrong spot, they fail to bloom and run the risk of becoming compost in the great garden of art. But sometimes fortune smiles and, with a bit of judicious pruning here and there, a new position and perhaps some fertilizer, they get the opportunity to grow into the beautiful plant they always had the potential to be. One of these works is Prokofiev's Sinfonia Concertante for cello and orchestra. Now the title, its English title that is, has always been a bone of contention. Most scholars now agree that Symphony Concerto is a more accurate rendition of Prokofiev's Russian, but the work was first published in the English-speaking world by Boozy and Hawkes as Sinfonia Concertante, and the title has stuck, just. Its first ill-starred manifestation was in the mid-1930s as Prokofiev's Cello Concerto in E minor, Opus 58. Prokofiev's largest score in this period was his ballet, Romeo and Juliet, and the concerto happily shares that work's melodic richness. But its premiere in 1938 was a fiasco. Sviatoslav Richter, the great pianist and a friend of the composer's, was there. He blamed the soloist, Les Berezovsky, and the conductor, Alexander Melik Pasheyev, claiming they failed to comprehend the work's innate warmth and emotional depth. So, after its disappointing debut, Prokofiev's cello concerto was put away in the archives until 1947, when a 20-year-old cello student named Mstislav Rostropovich played it at the Moscow Conservatory. Young performers have the luxury of doing things like that, taking a neglected piece, seeing its potential and saying, what the heck, let's take this out for a spin. Prokofiev was present and realized his failed concerto wasn't so bad after all. He had the humility to consult the young virtuoso on how it might be improved, and three years later the cello concerto was reworked into something bigger and, as time has proven, better. Interestingly, most works grow smaller with revision as their composers prune out all the dead wood. But Prokofiev's cello concerto went the other direction, gaining an extra five minutes or so in its metamorphosis. Hence the need for a new title, Symphony Concerto. In 1951 it re-entered the world under the stewardship of Rostropovich as soloist and Sviatoslav Richter as conductor. Even then, Prokofiev's work was not complete. He made further refinements to the orchestration and reworked the third movement. Running at just under 40 minutes, it is one of the biggest challenges a cellist can take on. The second movement is almost a concerto in its own right, about 18 minutes in duration and including a dazzling cadenza. Anam cellist James Morley took on the challenge last year and was rewarded for his efforts by winning the Audience Choice Award in the Anam Concerto competition. I asked him a few questions. Prokofiev's Sinfonia Concertante, it's a big ask. What were you thinking? And had you looked at it before you decided to make this your concerto competition entry? When I first got to Anam, I got to obviously choose some new repertoire to look at. Um, that was kind of the first thing that Howard and I, my teacher, tried to arrange. 
And we just kind of ended up settling on that first movement of the concerto, just because it seemed to, obviously it's a very, uh, it's quite a technical challenge and we've, we sort of felt that there would be a lot of um, obstacles in that particular movement that would uh, be beneficial for me to work on. So started working on that at the beginning of the year and then concerto comp just kind of came up as a thing and also a deadline that I could sort of work towards. Um, and I sort of run on deadlines sometimes uh, that can be helpful for productivity. So I found that I just sort of entered that piece in and then one thing led to another, I had to learn the entire concerto. It, it runs at about 40 minutes usually. That's a lot of stamina. How did you prepare yourself in that regard, physically and mentally? It is quite a long piece and I certainly hadn't played anything, at least solo, of that length before. And not only is it long, but it's just full of, you know, ways to totally wear yourself out quite quickly. And that freaked me out initially, actually, even getting through the first movement, which is half the length of the second movement was quite a challenge. So I was sort of looking for options and I found something that just kind of came up during last year was Alexander Technique and I was able to have a few sessions and because I was also quite concerned about this um, performance and getting through it because I was having difficulty doing so, it sort of seemed like, oh, maybe I should try and apply these Alexander Technique kind of exercises and ideas to the way I play this piece. And quite quickly, I found that it really, really helped. And a lot of it just sort of comes from, you know, recognizing sort of tensions and things like that and it's about posture and all of that and so not only was I finding ways of um, setting up my posture so that I could sort of make a better sound and get through all of the technical stuff more easily I also found that um, I could just get through the whole piece without feeling too tired weirdly enough I sometimes after complete run-throughs of the piece I felt like I could just keep playing if I wanted to what about the mental stamina of just keeping focus for that length of time. Uh, I think you talked about um, thinking of it as a tennis match and you know not worrying too much about the lost points. When you're playing a piece like that, there's just so many things that can go wrong and often, very often, including in both the performances I did of it, I just sort of felt I was running into too many disasters along the way and I would just never you just kind of can't expect to run through an entire piece um, and get away with everything scot-free and not make any mistakes it's kind of like a Australian Open grand final of cello concertos in the sense that well it's it really is a big one to play but just in terms of thinking how tennis and music are kind of so have such similar kind of links especially in the uh, sort of psychology side of things and that's why there's books that are sort of uh, compatible for both uh, musicians and tennis players because if you allow yourself to get too caught up in the last point that you just lost or in the case of uh, music the last mistake that you made then you're going to find yourself kind of spiraling and just sort of making it worse and you'll just end up uh, losing concentration essentially and that piece I just had to kind of really work on my focus and you know find strategies that would allow me to just totally ignore the mistake that I had just made and 
just in you know you kind of have to laugh them off sometimes when i was getting uh hearing from people who came to watch uh the semi-finals there was a moment in the piece where they a lot of people noticed that i was kind of laughing and smiling on stage and people were like oh that was great to see that you you know you're having fun on stage and you're having a great time and actually what happened was like for about 30 seconds of the piece i played a whole series of completely wrong notes <laughs> it was just it was about 30 seconds of total disaster actually and all i could do in the moment was just kind of laugh it off and just not let it kind of get to me and then after that it just felt you know it felt good just kept playing kept smiling about it james thanks very much thank you very much for 